0: Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamelski talk with Paul Schneider, co owner of Twist. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, editor in chief of JCK and jckonline.com. Calling in from Los Angeles, and I'm with...
1: Rob Bates, news director of JCK and jckonline.com. Calling in from New York City. I'm a little scratchy. Sorry.
0: Don't be sorry. We're all scratchy this time of year. Totally makes sense.
1: How are you? Did you do anything for Halloween, or...?
0: You know, uh... Just did a little trick or treating. My neighborhood is swarmed with hordes of children, so it's always fun to pass out. And of course, Nico, my almost four year old, you know, proclaimed it's his favorite day of the year. So he prowled around the neighborhood as Spider Man and just for like an hour or so. And now we're dealing with the aftermath of huge amounts of candy in the house. So that's fun. What about you?
1: Yeah, we went locally in New York, all the delis hand out candy and stuff. And um, yeah, it was nice. I remember when Mikey was that age. Age, and he barely knew what candy was and he didn't understand the concept of trick-or-treating. So uh, I think Nico's way ahead of him.
0: Wow. Well, well done you because I deal with can I have candy as a question <laughs> about 20 times a day. So good good for you. Anyway, well, to spare your voice, which sounds totally fine to me, Rob, I <laughs> just segue into our guest today. Many people know him because he's been honored. His, his business has been honored numerous times in the trade, by the trade. So many of you will know him. Paul Schneider, co-owner of Twist with stores in Portland and Seattle. And of course, a very popular website, twistonline.com that he runs with his wife and longtime business partner, Lauren Yulau. So Paul, from what I understand, is the face of the business. And perhaps uh, Lauren is the brains, but maybe we'll we'll get into that. I had the great pleasure of, spending a little time with Paul recently in Park City when, if anybody listened to our last podcast, we were at Conversations in Park City. The Jewelers Mutual sponsored leadership retreat and conference took place in mid-October. Paul was a speaker and he spoke through uh, a conversation with PSFK, which is the trend consulting and futurism, retail futurism agency that Jewelers Mutual hired to kind of coordinate the education conference part of the event. And Jeff Wiener from PSFK and Paul on stage. And I just was, taken. He was very authentic and delivered a lot of really interesting info about how his business has grown so successful. So all that is a very long preamble. Welcome, Paul. It's so nice to have you.
2: Thank you so much. It's really nice to be here. By the way, I'm in Portland, Oregon right now.
0: That's right. Fresh off a trip to the Bahamas, we just heard, which sounds glorious.
2: That sounds
1: great.
0: <laughs> a little no, escape. Are you a fish? Or do you like to, is it deep sea fishing?
2: No, it's fly fishing for bonefish. It's very specific and really fun. And I have a guide and I do it by myself and I, it's my total release. I love it.
0: Wow. By the way,
2: my wife stays here the whole time. And
0: <laughs> well, one of our first questions is always like, tell us about your background, where are you from? But you're, you're not from Oregon, are you?
2: I went to the University of Oregon in 1969 and basically have stayed here ever since. So.
0: So you're basically a a naturalized citizen of Oregon at this point. Yeah, that's
2: a good way to put it. I've been here like 50 years.
0: And you met Lauren at college, correct?
2: That's right. I was an art major, she was an English major, but we were both very involved in, I mean, this is like the late 60s, early 70s. We were both involved in the evolution of the counterculture then, which really had to do with alternative lifestyles, a sworn commitment not to do what our parents did. <laughs> and the whole crafts movement was very genuine and it was a very easy place to go. And it actually had the side benefit of being a way you could actually pay your bills. So I was a potter and she was a weaver we met in college and we were both immersed in that world for many years
0: When did the jewelry enter the conversation? Like, at what point did you say, okay, we're the crafts that we're working on, we're going to put those away or put those down for a while and focus on other people's jewelry?
2: You know, it never was that straightforward. Kind of the way our lives and our business and our relationship has gone has been just sort of what door opens next and what's interesting and where do we want to go?
1: One of the things I've heard is that you're not very big on planning.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's the way you describe it. It's kind of what we've done and how our careers and how our relationship has grown has been very organic, like next step rather than large-term plans. I mean, when we first went to an accountant, when we were both finally making enough money that we needed to pay taxes, and we sat down with the accountant and he said, in order for me to help you get to where you want to go, I need to know what your goals are. I mean, do you want to be retired in 10 years. Do you want to do this forever? I need to know what your plans are for like five years, 10 years, 20 years. And we just left that meeting. It's like, we need a different accountant. I don't know what he's talking about. We're just trying to figure out what's happening tomorrow. And it doesn't sound like a very good idea, but we've had this way of being fairly industrious and always very motivated about being creative and producing things that we are proud of. And it's really worked out.
0: Wow. And so in the seventies, you're there in Eugene and like, was jewelry even on either of your radars? Like, did you, did you know art jewelers or craft jewelers?
2: It wasn't even on our radar. Our commitment was really to beautiful objects that were made by us or people we knew. And that was kind of, that was really the source of our relationship, the source of our DNA. It was like, it could have been, like with some people, maybe it's religion or ethnic backgrounds or neighborhoods or families that kind of is that kind of cohesive material that kind of glues you together. And really, for us, it was these uh, were beautiful objects that were made by people. And It started out by our own work and selling our own work and selling in a co-op with other designers and people that made things and as that broke down it just became lauren and i selling the work we made my pottery and her weaving and um some of our friends at like a public marketplace in
1: eugene so it was pottery and weaving when did you kind of transition to jewelry
2: well, we were very committed to our particular craft and we want we we're very we sort of had this purity about it and we met somebody that made little porcelain earrings and we thought, well, that's porcelain, that's ceramic. That's something that we could put in our store and, and feel good about. And what we noticed was how amazingly well these sold and how people would buy jewelry, even just these little ceramic jewelry, but the idea that people buy jewelry and they wear jewelry and jewelry has meaning. And to buy a weaving or a piece of ceramics doesn't have that same kind of emotional context that jewelry had. So we kind of got on to the idea that maybe we should expand that direction. So we started by working with only people that made ceramic jewelry. Then we opened our eyes a little wider and thought, well, what about other kinds of materials that people we know make or people that we've heard of make? We're still craftspeople, so it led us to other craftspeople making jewelry out of different materials. When we moved into a new direction, it was always with a lot of information behind it, but it was also a lot of newness in front of us. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, for us anyway, it's like the biggest decisions in our lives have somehow always been kind of the easiest ones. They're kind of obvious. Mm. Should we get married? Should we have a kid? Should we move? Should we change this? These are all five minute conversations. <laughs> it's like, what should we have for dinner? And that could be a half an hour conversation. <laughs> uh,
0: yes, I get that very much. Well, places chronologically, when you're sort of moving into the fine jewelry realm, are you still in Eugene? Is it 80s? Is it the 90s?
2: No, by then we were we had moved to Portland. We had realized that we were both from California originally and that we'd ended up in Eugene because that's where we went to college and just stayed. And so we decided to broaden our horizons. We went hundred miles down I-5 to Portland and thought like there's so much potential here for growth because there couldn't be two businesses like ours in Eugene, Oregon. They're just we knew that that was as far as we we're going to go there when our daughter was born which was 1986 we had this conversation between us at that time we were both making things we were both involved in the selling of our things and other people's things and we had a baby and we decided that was too much that one of them had to go wasn't going to be the baby <laughs> so We literally in a car ride, I can still picture ourselves there. We decided, what are we going to do? And we said, let's stop making things and just concentrate on the selling. It's like, okay, that sounds good. And that's what we did. Within a week, we both closed our studios and put our equipment up for sale and started completely devoting our life to retail.
0: Clearly, you know people in the business know Twist as just this incredible incubator of designer talent. And you know when you cruise through the just the offerings and the designer names on your website, you really do seem to have so many of the most cutting edge and kind of coveted names out there. When did that kind of reputation form? I mean, it sounds like steadily all along you've been honing in on carrying people that you love, that due to this philosophy of you know objects that are well designed that speak to you. But by the turn of the last century, the you know two thousand was this already, kind of what you were known for?
2: Well, I don't know about what we were known for, but we already had this sort of basis of communication about what we liked. And our tastes are actually really different, but we totally respect each other's taste. And, you know, we already had by that time 20 years of looking and talking and analyzing design. So it was pretty easy to find pieces, however we did, either because somebody brought them to us or we were going out and our communication skills were such it didn't take a lot of discussion and i'd be very interested in her opinion and totally trusted and vice versa
0: if you're a fan of podcasts you know that listener reviews help make them possible please rate review and subscribe to the jewelry district wherever you may listen and now back to the show
1: Do you think that the kind of business you run is uniquely suited for Portland or could it work elsewhere?
2: That's a great, great question. Um, I think the way we run our business definitely is not specific to Portland, but our products, we are definitely citizens of this culture. And I think a lot of the products that we sell are direct result of this Pacific Northwest lifestyle. This is not a great community for real showy anything. You know, you can, you'll literally be ridiculed if you are wearing a giant diamond somewhere. It's, that's nothing to be admired. It's considered showing off. And there's, a real um, bias against that. And there's a real appreciation for craftsmanship here. And there's a real appreciation for quality. And I think that really ties into the specific products we sell, but not our system of making those decisions. So I don't think you could take what we've got now, like and move it to LA or move it to New York. I don't think it would be, it would have to change somewhat, but the way we do things, I could see that that's just the way it is. That, I think that works. I know it works.
0: Where do you come across people? I mean, obviously there are the trade shows, but are you employing other means of finding talent?
2: Um, we're always, always looking, and we always have been looking. I'm the one, if you go to our website and it says, um, if you have jewelry you want to submit, it says write to the buying Team at twistonline.com. That's me. And all of those emails come to me, and I can get 10 to 15 a day, and I look at every single one. It's very rare that someone unsolicited like that will be something that gets all the way through the system and actually ends up in our mix, but partially because that's where we came from in our lives. I feel a real responsibility to address every one of the submittals that come in.
0: Wow. That's pretty amazing that they can connect kind of the the equivalent of the slush pile in the literary world. And what catches your eye these days or what generally catches your eye?
2: That's interesting. I'm not really sure how to say it. You know, we're always looking for something different, but different that we really like. Our origins are with people that make things for a living. Our our sympathies and our passions are also there. So we feel it's really important to support people that are doing things that we think is really beautiful that do not have real access to the marketplace. We're looking for original voices. We're looking for people that are not second generation of an approach to jewelry, but are kind of originators of the ideas. Mm. I don't know how other people do it, but that's the only way we've ever known how.
1: How much does the customer reaction to the pieces matter? Is it a give and take between you and your customers? Like if customers favor a certain thing, does that make you more likely to buy it even if it's not necessarily your taste? No,
2: we won't do that. But we definitely, we're a retail business and we need to sell products. So we have definitely bought lines that it just didn't pay out. And we couldn't, even though we liked them, we couldn't continue because they just didn't sell anymore. But we won't buy things that we don't like. That's kind of really basic.
1: And uh, I read a while ago in, I think, 2017, you tried lab-grown diamonds and you mm-hmm. were- relatively ahead of the curve, I guess on that, how did that work out and do you still offer them?
2: Good question. That is the question of the day. We don't, Currently, we don't have any designers using lab grown diamonds. And in my opinion, this is just a reality. It doesn't really matter how individuals think about it. This is what people are going to want and this is what's going to be manufactured and this is what the marketplace is going to be full of, like it or not. And we're working right now on a concept Of bringing in a specific line of jewelry that's only lab grown diamonds. What I really don't want to do is confuse the customer, like within a collection. Well, these might look exactly the same, but this one happens to be half the price because this was made in the lab instead of being mined. It's asking too much of a customer to process, Mm. but we have no option but to anybody that thinks that they can grow their business in these day and age and that's not going to have an effect i just don't think that's true
1: and when you first offered it what was the issue
2: well, the people from Diamond Foundry got in touch with us, which was they were pretty early on and we didn't know much about it. And they identified us as a place that had some resonance in the industry and wanted to know if they provided diamonds for some of our designers, if we could do a collection based around that. And we did it. And we had a few designers that said they refused to do that. They weren't going to make anything like that. And other designers that got on board. So we did these collections and sold through them. There was really no follow-up up. And I just don't see the industry right now, the part of the industry that we're in, it's really caught on yet, but it's 100% inevitable that it will.
0: One of the things obviously, and this is no revelation, but as you talk, it's just so incredible what advocates you are for your designers. And one of the ways that you advocate and you know help them is by doing these incredible videos. Tell us about that because so many retailers haven't really gotten into video. How did you get into video? How much effort does it require? And how does it pay off for you? I
2: had always known, in fact, the people that work on our web team are always telling me to stop talking about videos all the time because I just knew there was a dimension missing from the experience of being online because we're not just selling jewelry we're also we our our way of selling has to do with the story that the designer is telling or the craftsman is telling and there had to be more than just a picture of a piece and our daughter who now is in the jewelry industry and lives in new york city she and a friend of hers were working on some videos and we just asked them if they could do them for us and since then we made i think 62 different videos about designers um, whose work we sell everyone is done at their studio wherever they live and it's always done in their words so in that way it was really easier I don't know how we would do it if we didn't have this connection between Sasha and Andrew and us. And I mean, we've flown them around the world to go to different designers and we've we've got more trips for them planned. And when we do these videos on these designers, we give them to the designers and we encourage them to use them on their website to help promote themselves. It's so easy. So much money and time has been put in that, you know, we really want them to have a bigger life. The other thing we do is we have these QR codes in the cases. So when you're if you're by yourself shopping and you're looking at a designer's work, you see the QR codes, you can pull out your phone, bring up the video, and just on your own, be in the studio with this person, having them talk about why and how they do it. Wow. So it's, it's really special and we really love it. Is it worth the investment? Eh, <laughs> I don't know.
0: Well, your daughter's, I'm sure, thrilled. What a way to see the world or to, at least to see little pockets
2: of it. Yeah, no, it's great. And she's, you know, that introduced her to, I mean, she never was super involved in the same kind of things we were involved in, but by doing these videos, she sort of became more intimate with what her mother and I do for a living and why and with who. And now she's in the jewelry industry in New York, besides making these videos. My
0: God. Well, those videos are great. And and I applaud you you because it's no small thing to put together even a three minute video. It's obviously a lot of footage that you have to get through just to.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't do any of it. Andrew and Sasha do it all. But we do, you know, we do set up the and I do tell them, you know, what I want them to talk about with these designers when they're having these uh, meetings and going through because I'll know the backstories and I'm trying to get them to, you know, be able to articulate it to, you know, to kind of, give some meat to this whole experience.
1: As a family business, is there an issue with kind of turning it off? Like, do you discuss business over the dinner table a lot? There's,
2: yeah, that's another great question. There's no separation. It's not business and family life and home. It's just life. And we can be lying in bed at night talking about business. We could be in the middle of the day talking about birthdays. It's, you know, we get a lot. People say to us, I could never work with my wife side by side. We kill each other. You know, I don't think that's really true. I think it really simplifies relationships. It really cuts down this. A lot of times, I think when people come together after a hard day's work and everybody's so wrapped up into the intensity of the problems that their work has and that just can kind of, it can just create a clash and we just don't have that. We're both on the same team whether it's family or work.
0: During sorry, I'm going to segue now, but when we were in Park City and you talked about 21 being 2021 being a record year, no surprise because it was such a big year for jewelry in general. How is this year shaping up and are you finding any cooling as more talk of the economy and inflation and so on? Kind of populates yes. our, our news stream
2: yes absolutely there's a cooling there's no doubt about it i think everybody's being a little less exuberant a little more cautious it's not as much fun but that's okay this is just what we're doing you know we've got money in the bank we've always we've always have had and we're going to be able to continue for quite a while employing people and buying people's jewelry but it's not the same marketplace as it was i was talking to someone else about this the same position about like what's it like this year compared to last year and Someone said to me, you can't compare anything. Just take last year off your chart and go to 2019, 2018, because those years were un- unrealistic.
0: Mm, good point. Another thing you talked about in Park City was just the, you know, some of the obstacles you hit uh, as a retailer. And you mentioned staffing, which does always strike me as one of the top, if not yeah. the top concern. What have your particular issues been and how have you mitigated them?
2: Uh there you go actually we're kind of hitting i think it seems to me right now things are kind of turning the corner and that idea of that like nobody wants to work and nobody wants to have a job and everybody's got enough money to live on i think that's coming down to earth a little bit right now we are in the middle of hiring and we're getting just in the last few weeks we're getting a higher quality of applicants so i'm feeling a lot better about it than i did in park city which was just a couple of weeks ago Mm. but you know it's weird because in the new york times this morning there's an article exactly about this about how the hiring process is a little less it's not like as easy as it was but it's not as bad as it was either.
0: Uh, like out of coming out of the pandemic when people were just yeah. sort of, were a little more reluctant to, to work I guess I guess I guess I know there were so many competing theories as to why that was and I don't know if any one theory really emerged as the one to explain it all but I guess how many people do you even employ? I
2: think there's 25 people in the business. that includes five people full-time on the website and office staff and then the two retail stores. But one thing about us I think that is interesting is that we really treat our website as its own store. We consider us having three stores, Portland, Seattle, and online. Honestly, last year was the first time that all three of them were very close in sales. Wow. So, yeah. I think it says a lot for the online business.
1: You, you're, uh, I would call you a, a relatively unique independent jeweler and in just you know, your style and the way you curate and the way you come across. But when you look at different independent jewelers, is there any advice you have for them or anything you think they could be doing better?
2: I think things are changing rather quickly in life and jewelry is no different. It's always seemed to me that maybe, you know, the values in the industry were a lot of them based on rich family histories and relationships with communities that are really, really deep and there's been this historical value in that i think it's changing and being you know you're competing in a global marketplace right now your customers these families you've been dealing with are online and looking at stuff all over and um i think embracing technology and embracing communication and really trying to keep an open mind about what's really going on is really going to help because i do think there's pretty radical changes that have happened and are happening. I think it's part of the reason why we've been more successful because we weren't tied to anything, no traditions, no, you know, there was no history. So everything was fresh and it was really easy for us to make changes. Um, But I did see um, in Park City, I did talk to some younger people that were the next generation of their family's businesses and kind of sought me out to ask questions about this. And I was really encouraged. They were really bright and really open and really wanted to know, like, like, how do you grow that? How do you get Instagram and how does it work? And how do you, you know, the videos and, you know, the really deep, deep online presence. So I was encouraged by that.
0: You know, given this sort of approach you've always had, which is just to look ahead, you don't have this. You're not weighted by you know s- decades of family tradition. I mean, are you more open to concepts like those we talked about in Park City, like NFTs, digital goods, the metaverse? I mean, some of us are are kind of tune out when we hear that stuff, but it's clearly a part of the cultural conversation. Where where do you stand on on that?
2: You know, I'm probably I, when it starts to get away from the actual objects themselves, that's what we really love. We love the actual pieces and the people that make them and the stories that are told through the objects they make and the talent they have. And I just don't understand how that translates into an NFT, something that you can't touch and feel and see and kind of get that almost spiritual relationship with. So I guess that's probably where the line is drawn with me. I'm, I'm just really not interested in it.
0: I hate to say it. I agree with you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that's just who who we are.
0: Yeah, it could be. I don't know if I always have to ask myself, is it just generational? I'm just not that generation. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves.
1: Paul, do you have anything else you want to share with people or you want people to know about your business?
2: I really appreciate you putting this on. I think it is an interesting point of view. I mean, I really love listening to any story about how A small business, I think every small business is interesting, successful and not. And I think, you know, giving a voice to individual independent creators or producers or, you know, just people that are struggling to make it work is really, really helpful because everybody's kind of alone when you're in a small business. And it's platforms like this that really help.
0: Agreed. Thank you. I think people will be really thrilled to hear your insights. I'm sure a lot of people would aspire to be where you and Lauren have have gotten. So thanks for sharing your time and your thoughts with us. Really appreciate it. Well, thank
2: you very much. Thank you. you Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you'll join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK. (laughs) we <laughs>